I remember in the seventh grade, one of my friends, her older sister, was sneaking Zimas. She had them under the bed. Do you know what Zimas are? They were like <laughs> yes. Sprite and beer yes. or something. Yes. It's like the prelude to Smirnoff, Smirnoff. Ice. <laughs> yes. It was Smirnoff Ice before Smirnoff Ice. Zima was blazing the trail. Something I did without my parents' permission. I got a tattoo. Same. Right before going to college. I got a tattoo and I still don't think my mom knows. <laughs> She's about to know. She's about to know. I didn't know about it, Mrs. Shodia. Yes, she did. I Everybody's never... getting in trouble. <laughs> if I'm getting in trouble, you getting in trouble too. <laughs> this was before my time. <laughs> I'm TT. And I'm Zakia. And from Spotify Studios, this is Dope Labs. Welcome to the lab, everybody. This episode, we're talking about vaccines. vaccines. So, TT, what do vaccines have to do with all the sneaky stuff we did as teenagers? Well, we started talking about it after hearing about this teenager from Ohio named Ethan Lindenberger. He snuck out of his house, but not for the reasons that we were talking about. Right. He snuck out of his house to get a vaccination. Like, snuck out the house and got a cough drop. Right. <laughs> like, Living life on the wild side. Man, it's crazy. <laughs> But why did he have to sneak out to get vaccinated? So Ethan's mom is a part of this growing community that is against vaccinations. So they don't really want to vaccinate their children because they feel like it has some adverse effects. And Ethan says that his mama basically was at Facebook University getting all this information. And so he's been testifying uh, in the Senate hearing to kind of give kids the right to get vaccinated if they want to. Because he was only able to do it because he was 18. Right. That's when I got my tattoo. But I was still living at home and terrified. I don't know how you got away with that. Ooh, Chile. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing to remember is that this, even though we heard about it because of Ethan, that story really helps us kind of capture where we are today. This isn't just happening in Ohio. So there are some reasons why people don't want to get vaccinated, right? Yeah. And some of them are, are good reasons. Like, well, what I would consider a good reason. Like there are medical reasons. Mm-hmm. You're allergic to something that's in the vaccine. So like if you're allergic to eggs. Eggs, yeah. Right? Religious reasons. Mm-hmm. And then there are some people who it's like a philosophical reason. Like, right? I'm not sure about it. Mm-hmm. I don't think the government should tell me what I should do with my child. I kind of understand a little bit why people are like, oh, I'm not too sure about vaccines because people don't really trust the medical community. And yeah. because of I mean, it's history, mm-hmm. but their absolute trust in people who are not even medicine adjacent (laughs) like people who don't even have a lick of a degree in any type of biological science is a mind-boggling to me like jenny mccarthy has been one of the most outspoken celebrities against vaccines but cindy crawford jim carrey charlie sheen and alicia silverstone with tiger blood tiger blood yes and alicia silverstone from clueless they've all expressed concern when it comes to vaccine safety why are you going to jenny mccarthy for your medical advice. I mean, it's just like going to Ja Rule for political advice. You remember that Dave Chappelle skit? Yes. It's like, no one wants to hear from Ja Rule. I personally don't want to hear from Jenny McCarthy. Not about medicine. Maybe she can... Maybe if I'm going back on Singled Out. Remember that show on MTV? <laughs> but other than that, yes. no thank you. Exactly. Unless you count down the ball drop on Ryan Seacrest, New Year's Rock and Eve, I don't want to hear from you. Keep it. But you know what's happening now? People are getting sick. In the year 2000, measles was pretty much eliminated, right? It was eradicated. The CDC declared it eradicated. Right. And now there have been 
already over 250 confirmed cases of measles in 2019. Yeah. Did you see the the boy in Oregon who had tetanus and was in the hospital all those weeks? Listen, I don't even really know what tetanus is because that's something that I felt like only the pilgrims got. (laughs) (laughs) Well, every pilgrim had tetanus. Listen, it's it's the Oregon Trail out here. Okay. <laughs> you have got to check your neighbor. I feel like we're going back in time. Like, I don't want this life. I don't want to be walking outside and feeling like, oh, there, there's a chance I may catch some medieval disease. Well, you better keep your eyes open because the Black Plague might be next. <laughs> so let's get into the recitation. What do we know, Zakia? Just to get everybody on the same page, this episode is not about whether or not vaccines work. Right. We know that they work. Right. When they're introduced to a population, the instance of those cases, right, the number of cases for the disease that you're vaccinating against, it drops and it drops dramatically. We also know that they've been around for a while, right? Yeah, we were talking about measles and the measles vaccine has been around since 1963. So it's been through a lot of testing. It's also been deployed for millions of people across the United States. Because that's how science works. Like it gets tested over and over and over and over again, especially things that are going to be put out into the population for us to consume. I feel like I understand how vaccines work and how viruses work. I do not. And I think because I understand what a vaccine is and what a virus is, I'm asking, why are people not getting vaccinated? So I'm more interested in the behavior. I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions. I feel like there was an uptick in people saying that they're vaccine hesitant or anti-vaxxers in recent years. And so I'm wondering if scientists have been seeing that uptick and what do they attribute to that uptick? Is it just memes on the internet? Or or are there... Is there a a greater force at play here? Yeah, and I'm kind of just interested in the basics. Like, what is a virus? Like, what is a vaccine? How does a vaccine work? So let's get into the dissection. Buckle in. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Today's guest is Dr. Rupali LeMay. I am an assistant scientist here at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. I also serve as the associate director for behavioral research for the Institute for Vaccine Safety. So one of the things that's really cool about Rupali is that she used to be in marketing. So she knows about a good message. So I've come at public health in a very different way. And what we're trying to do is think about how do we use persuasion techniques to get parents to accept vaccines for their children. Rupali is a woman after our own hearts. She understands that the science is only as good as the medium that you're using to communicate it, right? Right. Nobody wants to read paragraphs on paragraphs of the Dry Eyes commercial, basically. Exactly. Nobody wants that. You know, there's viruses. (laughs) Right. So first things first. Before we get into vaccines and how they work, let's start with the basics. What is a virus? I like to think of viruses as like little peanut M&Ms, right? I love peanut (laughs) M&Ms. Well, you (laughs) love peanut M&Ms and not viruses. So you have the hard candy shell, right? That's like your protein coat that has different uh, particles and and different like types of proteins on the outside. Mm -hmm. And then inside the peanut is some type of nucleic acid. So it could be DNA or RNA, depending on the virus. So that's the anatomy. That's the basic anatomy of a virus. Okay. Peanut M&M. I got it. But what do they do? It really lives to reproduce is what it's it's really the best way to explain it. And it's spread by a number of ways. Right. You can cough on someone. You can have droplets in the air from sneezing. Really any contact mostly with bodily fluids. Remember that woman that was on the train with us coughing and not covering her mouth? Yes. She was... (laughs) A projectile pushing those organisms all over the train. And I was like, we have to change cars. Zakia literally leaned over to me and said, she has pertussis. We have to change cars. <laughs> <laughs> if she wasn't going to cover her mouth, she at least needed to put on like a next care mask. Yes. 
Okay, but once you get a virus, how do those things Harlem shake through your whole entire body? So usually what happens is that a virus will enter your body. It has to find a host cell to infect. Once it gets into that host cell, it replicates. And then once it replicates, it leaves that host cell through the membrane and goes to infect other host cells. I think viruses are like, you know, in the cartoons where it's like two kids in a coat. They ring the, and they're like, <laughs> like one is the on, little rascals when yeah. they stack themselves on top. They stack themselves on top of each other and ring the doorbell. That's how a virus enters your cells, right? It's like, it, hello, I'm here to sell you uh, encyclopedias. Then they get inside and like, psych, I'm here to infect. And then they just hijack all the machinery and make tons of more virus that then goes on to do the same thing at each other host just cell. Just dip set and go to the next cell. So it just continues to spread rapidly through your body. So what really happens, if you think about each cell is like a house in a neighborhood, you go from... One person ringing the doorbell, right? Mm-hmm. One of those disguises mm-hmm. to like trick or treat. It's like everybody <laughs> at every door pushing to get into all of those host cells. Right. It's mayhem. It's madness. After these cells are infected with these viruses, these kids that are just running up on all of us, what happens? What are the symptoms that start to occur? Let's take measles, for example. In terms of symptoms, it's sort of the run of the mill. Like it's a fever, it's a cough, it's a runny nose, it could be a sore throat. Your child could get conjunctivitis. So if you're a parent and you're experiencing these symptoms with your child, you might just say, oh, my kid has the flu or, you know, some sort of other viral infection and wouldn't necessarily think it was measles. Yeah, and and this can get really serious. And in some cases, it can lead to death. That's a lot of bacteria. Can I just use a bunch of Purell? Uh, Okay, so... <laughs> oh no. no, I know I said something wrong. You know, sometimes I go, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's not quite right. <laughs> there's a big difference between viruses and bacteria. One being that there's no cure for a virus. So, you know, from like a parental perspective, people will say, oh, you know, maybe your doctor will say, well, you have a viral infection. And they'll say, well, can I get antibiotics? It's not really going to do anything for it. Oh, so Purell is not going to. It's not going to do nothing. Not going to get it. So because viruses don't have a cure, it's all about prevention. And a lot of that has to do with being able to defend against them when they present to our bodies or when we encounter them. Vaccinations can't cure them, but they can stop them from spreading. And that's why vaccinations are so important within viruses. So let's have Dr. LeMay help us break down vaccines. What are they and how do they work? The most, I think, common way that people are familiar with is that you take the virus, you weaken it, you then inject it into someone's body through a vaccine. So then your immune system, your B cell sort of response remembers it. So in the future, if you get infected by that virus, you're able to fight against it. B cells. These are white blood cells that help your body with building immunity. So when we think about immunity, there are kind of two different ways you split it up. There's innate immunity that you're born with. And then there's adaptive immunity, which is where B cells play a role. And adaptive immunity is like, see something, say something. So I saw something that's out of place and it's strange. I remember it. And the next time I see it, I know to get rid of it. And so your B cells are part of that system. So when the vaccine, the weakened form of the virus is injected into you, it's just so that your body recognizes it when the real deal shows up. But because it's a weakened virus, your body is able to fight it. So as a result, when you actually perhaps encounter that virus, you will be able to fight it and not deal with really the more negative and dire consequences of viruses. Your body is creating a most wanted list so that as soon as it sees this person showing up at your door, it's like, I know exactly who you are and I'm not answering it. If a virus enters your body that you're vaccinated against, your immune system has already seen this before. So this sort of flag goes up, the army kind of gets into place of your of your immune system, if you will, and they know how to fight it. So what vaccines are sounding like is like a dating app, essentially. It's like vaccine tender. <laughs> <laughs> you see something coming up, that virus got a gold tooth, swipe left. Right. 
apolitical, swipe, swipe left. left. <laughs> <laughs> Struggle meals, swipe left. That's right. So now we know how vaccines work on a cellular level, but how do they work in the broad population? Here at Dope Labs, we try not to throw around a lot of scientific words, but there are two words you really need to know for this episode. Herd immunity. So I think the easiest way to think about herd immunity is thinking about it like a protective net. If enough people, let's say you have 10 people in a herd, and let's say that all of them are vaccinated. So if measles comes along and wants to infect someone, it will just die out because there's no one for it to infect. And we know for it to live, it has to be able to replicate. It literally exists to replicate. If we think about it from a different scenario, and let's say out of 10 people, only five people are vaccinated, it's much easier for measles to get in and then spread it to other people. So there has to be enough susceptible people or hosts for the virus to continue to live. And that protective armor is so much more important when the virus is contagious. So there are levels to how contagious a virus is. So for example, measles is really highly contagious. And what we mean by that is we use a number called the reproductive number, and that tells you how many more people can be infected by one case of measles. So let's just say you have 20 people over at a dinner party. I don't know if I would have 20 people, but that's fine. Okay. I don't know 20 people. I just know you. Your husband and your sisters and your parents. And that's it. That's not even 20. And Daisy, my dog. (laughs) (laughs) So if you had 20 people over for a dinner party and one person showed up and had measles and no one in the room was vaccinated, 12 to 18 people would get measles. Oh, my God. So that's how many cases can you get from one case of measles? So if you think about what that number is for, let's say... HIV is two to five people at the party, considering they had sexual contact. What about pertussis, like that woman on the train? That's about five to five and a half people on average. So, oh my goodness, we really could have got pertussis. Well, well, I can't because I'm vaccinated. I'm vaccinated as well. Come on, somebody. (laughs) So, (laughs) the thing to think about is herd immunity is particularly important for something like measles, where the contagiousness is so uh, high. That's why measles is such a challenge for us, because we have to really have high rates of adherence to the vaccine. And if you don't, it ends up spreading very, very, very rapidly. And that just happens to do with how they transmit. So even if you don't think you need a vaccine, part of herd immunity is that it's not just about you. Right. What about older people? What about babies that can't get vaccinated yet? Stop being so self-centered. It's about protecting the people that you love. And we're doing this um, strategy, it's called cocooning, where we're asking, for example, if you're about to have a baby, that you as the mother, as well as everyone that you surround yourself with, like your spouse, your mother-in-law, your parents, et cetera, should all get the flu vaccine because that baby can't be fully vaccinated for a while. So you are literally forming that level of protection, that sort of web, if you will, um, until that baby is old enough to get vaccinated. That's exactly what Gabrielle Union did. Right. When Kavia James Union Wade, a.k.a. Shady Baby, when she was born and Oprah wanted to do an interview, Gabrielle said that everyone on the production team had to be vaccinated before they stepped foot into her house. She was cocooning the Shady Baby. And that's exactly what herd immunity is, is providing indirect protection For a baby caveat. We love you, caveat. We love you. Yes, we're big fans. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the good and bad feelings that are associated with vaccination. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I always love saying that. I don't like Clint Eastwood no more, though. (laughs) We don't like a lot of people anymore. Stay tuned.
All right. So we're back and we're ready to talk about vaccine hesitancy. What's up with that? Vaccine hesitancy is anyone that thinks about delaying a vaccine, trying to think about an alternative schedule, or really having major concerns that would make them think about perhaps not getting a vaccine that's recommended. So in terms of how people feel about vaccinations, it's kind of a spectrum. Right. We're on one end. You have people who are saying, yeah, that's totally fine. I'm going to take my kid to go get vaccinated as soon as the doctor tells me. Mostly about a third of the population is usually kind of like, yeah, I'm going to get vaccines. I'm going to do what my doctor says. Right. On the other end of the spectrum, you have people who are completely against it and they say, no, I will not vaccinate my child no matter what. Yes. And that's about two percent. And They're commonly called anti-vaxxers or anti-vaccination. Then you have another probably 50% of the population that is sort of ambivalent, if you will. So just needs to be nudged in the right direction. And then there's a huge chunk left over who might just be vaccine hesitant. So what are the reasons that people tend to be vaccine hesitant? What what leads them to this hesitancy? There's usually three reasons people tend to be vaccine hesitant. One has to do with this unfortunate misconception related to adverse events related to vaccines. So that's what's really driving hesitancy is people are concerned about safety of vaccines. The second tends to be about the schedule. I think that parents get very overwhelmed, particularly when they first have a baby and they realize how many shots this baby has to get at the two month, at the four month, at the six month. And they think, oh my gosh, this can't be good, right? And then the third sort of reason that people are hesitant is having to do with ingredients. Like people will say, oh, there's formaldehyde in a vaccine. And the way that we have tried to address this is, you know, my response to them is, you know what? There's more formaldehyde in a pear that's in a vaccine. I've never felt more betrayed by a fruit. Like Rick Ross says, shout out to the pears. <laughs> shout out to pears. <laughs> and But we do hear that concern from parents. They're, they're sort of like, why would I inject a virus inside of me? What we're trying to get parents to understand is that it's better for your body to be exposed to it so that you're ready to prepare it. I kind of think about it like a car seat for a baby. You hope that you're not in a car accident ever, but it's nice that it's there. So if a car accident does happen, your child is protected. Okay, so let's go back to the first reason that Rupali mentioned, the one about misconceptions around vaccine safety. Unfortunately, there's been at least one well-known instance where a doctor published research around vaccines that was later proven to be complete trash in that it was completely false. Um, The biggest one and sort of the elephant in the room, right, is sort of the 1998 study that was published that made this unfounded and incorrect link between the MMR vaccine, which is measles, mumps, and rubella, and autism right? That paper was retracted. He lost his medical license. Not only was the science not sound in that study, but he also had other financial, competing financial interests because he was trying to make his own measles vaccine. Unfortunately, the misconceptions that that article started, we're still struggling with now. So information is a really important part of staying healthy. Remember the more you know? (laughs) Yes. Right. It's true, though. And part of why we're experiencing a rise in viruses that were once squashed is because there's a lot of conflicting information being shared out there. And it's not always backed up by actual fact. Right. And when you have a large platform, the information you share has such a great effect. And case in point is Jenny McCarthy. Her son does not have autism and he was vaccinated. And even though she later recanted, it was too late. But the damage was done, right? And she's just one of them. And I think that if you have someone like that that has a platform, that has a large platform, and is spouting misinformation, yeah, it's really hard for us to correct that. Like, who am I or some other 
kind of academic person to come on and say, guess what? It doesn't cause that. Who do you think people are going to believe? Ja Rule is not all knowing and neither is your favorite celeb on Instagram. What's really interesting is that information is just like virus. Right. So when that virus shows up or the information shows up at your front door and it's wearing that disguise and it's not actually fact, it's just non-fact being said by somebody famous or somebody that you really like or somebody that you really admire. Mm -hmm. You let that information into your house and you just let it replicate and then you spread it. And so that that false information just spreads just like a virus does. So we have to figure out and we have to think about how misinformation is spreading and proliferating so rapidly. Because if not, this misinformation is already starting to outnumber correct scientific evidence-based information. If you come across a meme that you aren't sure is scientifically correct, please tag Dope Labs podcast in it. We'll do the work for you. We'll do the legwork because we're all friends here. (laughs) We don't want you to let those incorrect memes in a trench coat into your home. The other thing I think that really plays into this is how many parents do you know go on social media and say, hey, I had a great vaccine experience. Most parents aren't going to say that. So most of the parents that are being vocal are ones that will say, oh, I had a terrible vaccine experience. I think it led my baby to X, Y, and Z. Negative views on vaccines are just like Yelp reviews. You don't leave a Yelp review unless you got something to complain about. So what we need is more people saying positive things. Like I got a flu vaccine and I didn't get the flu this season. And neither did my grandmama. Right. Or or my my baby baby cousin. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Everybody's healthy. And the thing I think that blows my mind the most is when I look at social media and I think about why our messages so incredibly effective. It's because they're really focusing on emotional, you know, emotions of the parent, fear-based appeals to the parent. They're looking at, they're using stories, they're using anecdotal stories, which I think are just much better for parents to understand. Basically, Dr. LeMay is saying we need more memes that spread the truth. Because really, all it takes is one meme with Will Smith in the background looking serious in a turtleneck, and (laughs) y'all will believe anything. People are out here making memes and they don't care about the facts. They show a Lamborghini, an icon of somebody in a business suit and a needle and say like, (laughs) Big Pharma is making vaccines to make $2 trillion off of your babies that are... No. It's just crazy You're just doing Google image searches and then putting all those things together in uh, PowerPoint. Yeah, You're not fooling nobody, bro. Vaccines, honestly, only account for 2% of the profit that Big Pharma makes. I think the number one drug, you know, one is for erectile dysfunction, (laughs) sort of most prescribed and also most profitable. But there's also one for toe fungus. And I'm blanking on what the prescription is in terms of money-making drugs, if you will, right? So vaccines, in the grand scheme of things, do not, pharmaceutical companies do not make money off of them. A lot of y'all got toe fungus. That's what I'm learning. (laughs) Or a few of y'all are spending a lot of money on the prescription. Unfortunately, because of the political climate, our nation has become just extremely divisive, especially in political opinions. And so what we are finding, and you hear about this a lot, you sort of think, oh, I am really worldly and I've traveled the world and I have all these friends, but you really mostly live in a bubble. So even though we're super connected and we have all of these platforms that are that allow us to talk to people all over, we're choosing to talk to people that have the same ideas as us. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the problem, right? Because we're talking to people that believe the things already. It's like preaching to the choir over and over and over again. But unfortunately, what that does is that tends to not allow ideas to kind of spread and bridge across networks. So as a result, if let's say an influential person in your network says, hey, you know what? I'm anti-vaccine. I think they're terrible because of X, Y, and Z. 
And if you don't really know that much about vaccines, you would say, oh, well, this person probably knows what he or she is is thinking about and talking about. And you're going to be much more susceptible to being influenced by that person. Right. It's just like that emotional mind thing we were talking about in the last episode. Yes. You will search for the facts that support the beliefs and the views that you have. So this reminds me of um, Jess Hilarious. When she was going through something, she posted... You know, her apology, she was just misunderstood. And everything that she retweeted was people that agreed with her perspective. Exactly. But I could look at her comments and see that a ton of people were disagreeing. Mm -hmm. So what should people do if they're unsure about vaccines and want more information? They should talk to someone that they trust. Unfortunately, that tends, the best person that you trust may not be the person that's most knowledgeable, right? And I understand that there's been this decrease in trust with your healthcare provider, and that is unfortunate. But thinking about perhaps who has the expertise to talk about this, but also who has your best interest at heart. So what do we take away from this? So one thing that we want to point out is that we are talking about the U.S. When throughout this whole episode. Right. There are developing countries where vaccines are not readily available. And I think just for me, I know how viruses work, but to think about how contagious measles is and to think about those countries where vaccines are not as readily available and there's not a lot of great infrastructure so people are you know in constant contact with each other i can just think of how how these diseases just ripple through those populations and really just take hold of a of a community and can almost destroy it and i think it's so easy for us to take this for granted Mm -hmm. you know and i think some of this taking it for granted goes back to what you said about the Yelp review. I never had measles, so I don't really care about a measles vaccine so much. I'm not, I'm not talking about it because also the people around me haven't had measles because they were vaccinated. But this could be ver- a very real reality mm-hmm. if we don't keep our you know herd immunity levels or having 95% of our population vaccinated, if we don't keep that level high. Right. And even when you think about things like natural disasters mm-hmm. and the the viruses and things like that that spring up after that because of waterborne waterborne pathogens can take you out yeah so like even there was a cyclone that hit beta mozambique Mm -hmm. and now people are trying to support the relief effort right and one of the main things that people are talking about is medication because there's a lot of water everything is underwater and so that's one of the things that Um, folks are trying to do to support the people there. Same thing with um, Nebraska, right? And in Nebraska. You know, something that we've gone back and forth about is whether to say, you know, what our position is. But I think Mm -hmm. the only responsible thing is to say, like, the facts line up. Yeah. The facts line up for me. And that is that it's important to get vaccinated. Global citizenship is something that's really important. And we should all keep that in mind when we are making these decisions. We're not telling you what to do. We're saying what we do. And I'm getting vaccinated because I am a citizen of this world. Thanks for hanging out with us in the lab today. Don't forget to check out our website for a cheat sheet on today's episode. We're going to include a lot of good info and some pretty charts and graphs for you, too. Also, we want to hear from you. And now we have a phone number so you can call and leave us a message. For our next episode, we're going to be taking a trip into the magical, mythical kingdom of Wakanda. Are you excited about the new Avengers movie and the Black Panther sequel? Do you know what vibranium is made of? Our number is 202-567-7028. 
That's 202-567-7028. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dope Labs Podcast. TT is on Twitter at DR underscore T-S-H-O. And you can find Zakia at Z said so. And if you do love the show, don't forget to follow us on Spotify or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to today's guest, Dr. Rupali LeMay. You can learn more about her work in the show notes on dopelabspodcast.com. Our producer is Jenny Radelet mass mixing and sound design by Hannes Brown. Original theme music by Taka Yasuzawa and Alex Sugiura. Additional music by Elijah Alex Harvey. Dope Labs is brought to you by 3M and is a production of Spotify Studios and Mega Ohm Media Group. And it's executive produced by us, Titi Shadia and Zakia Watley. I had a friend who treated, he felt, he was a virologist. We were getting ready to go out to eat. And he said, did you get the flu vaccine yet? And I said, no. He said, oh, well, then we can't go to dinner. Oh. <laughs> I was like, what? And oh he my. walked with me to Rite Aid to get the flu vaccine. And then we went to dinner. All right. Well, that's a real friend.